Colossians 3, 1 through 11. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of, of his word. Growing up as a teenager in my uh, parents' home, I longed to be free. <laughs> to be free of the uh, rules and the regulations that were set forth in my home. I wanted to be my own man. I wanted to set my own agendas. I wanted to be free. What I didn't realize was that I actually was free. <laughs> I was free of bills. <laughs> I was free of having to figure out what I was going to eat that evening. I was free of having to deal with the responsibilities of dealing with a, a household. I was I was really free. When I, when I became older and was able to, to get out on my own, I realized that although I was free in, in, in my eyes, I actually had obligations to fulfill. I wasn't as free as I thought. There were still laws and boundaries in which I had to, to work and to uh, uh, live, live by. I was free, yes, true. There were still ways, there were still things that were governing that that freedom. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been, through great emphasis, communicating to you that if you are in Christ, then you are free. You are no longer bound by diet and uh, diets and and regulations and and festival days. Your your chains have been loosed and you are no longer bound. But this begs the question, well, how free are you? Pastor Tony reminded us last week that our freedom doesn't mean autonomy. We are are not a law unto ourselves and not free to do whatever we want to do. Brothers and sisters, believe you me, we want no part of autonomous freedom. We want no 
part of it. That would be disastrous. You, you think Sodom and Gomorrah is bad, but, but left as a law unto ourselves, things would be chaotic. Yes, you and I are free, but we are free to live in Christ. Free to live according to our new identity. Paul, Paul here in our text, has not moved on from the foundation that he established for us in chapter 2 of Colossians. Verses 12 through 14, when he says, Having been buried with him in baptism, and once you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its, legal's demand, its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Paul, Paul has not moved on from this reality. What, what we have been doing over the past couple of weeks and what Paul has been doing uh, after that is unpacking that, that truth for us. And that's what the last few weeks have been about. We have been unpacking what it means to have died with, with Christ and to be raised with him. Oh, this right here is what defines our freedom. You want to know how free you are? If that's the question that you are, are begging this, this morning, you need to know that you are free to live worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Not, not, not free in self, not, not free according to the world, but free in Christ to live in him to obey him and to, to follow him. Christ is the governor of your freedom. I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a, on a golf course and, and driving a golf cart, right? Um, you get in the golf cart and you want, you want to go fast, right? You want to get to the next hole as quickly as possible. But, but the, you see, the golf courses have put what they term governors on the golf cart. That, so that you can only go so far, right? You can only go so fast before it knocks down your, your speed. Yes, you are free, but that freedom is governed by living in Christ. And Paul goes on in our text to tell the Colossians or to explain to the Colossians that their freedom in Christ ought to re result in, in three actions, uh, three, uh, three marks of their, of their, in their lives. They are to result in lives that think rightly, lives that walk rightly, and lives that relate rightly. Lives, when you're free in Christ, we are to have lives that think rightly. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 are the start of our text. If then you have been raised with Christ, 
Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. Most people underestimate their thought life. Little attention is given to how susceptible our our thoughts are. They, they can be easily, easily influenced and, and therefore govern our behavior. The point has already been made, but it, bear, it bears repeating. Paul mentioned to the uh, Colossians multiple times in chapter 2 that, that they are not to be deluded by plausible arguments and that they're to see to it that no one takes them captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Paul is, is, is telling them to, in, in essence, guard their minds, guard their, their thinkings. We may, we may underestimate how susceptible our minds are, but the Bible doesn't. God's Word tells us in various places, it, it tells us to, to guard our minds. Philippians 4, 7, and the, and the peace of God which surpasses all understandings, it will do what? It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're going to guard our minds. We are also to renew our minds. This is what Romans 12, 2 says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Then we ought to also, the Bible tells us, have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. Why these imperatives regarding uh, our minds? Because our minds, they are easily influenced. Paul says, listen, don't let these teachers distract you with, with diets and, and, and festival days. Don't, don't focus on whether or not you are spiritual enough. Get your eyes off of yourself. Get them off of the things of this world and set them on things that are above Set them on Jesus. Dwell, dwell on the fact that he has defeated sin and death and is sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. That's where your attention ought to be focused. If we were honest, those truths don't, they don't consume our thoughts and our minds. Our minds are concerned too often with what others think about us. They're, they're captivated by, by lust and, in, and enthralled with, with, worldly, with worldly passions. Oh, the question is for you this morning is, what is your mind fixed with? What, what does it default to? Because what what our minds are transfixed with and, and what it defaults to, it, it, it matters. It's important that we, get, that we get our thoughts and our minds fixed in the right place. Because 
It is in our thought life that the evil one accuses us. It is in our thoughts where we feel most condemned, unspiritual. It's, it's in, those, those, in those quiet places where we tend to, to despair. Left alone to my, to my thoughts, brothers and sisters, uh, I, and I know this is true of you because I've had conversations with you. Left alone to your thoughts, those, those times at night where you're, when you're lonely, there's, no, there's nothing around, it's, it's silent. You can easily convince yourself that the Lord doesn't care. You can easily convince yourself that, that you are so entrenched in your sin that you are condemned before God and he can't love you. You can easily convince yourself that you are not saved. This happens in our thought life. We, we despair in, when our mind is focused on things around us and, and our circumstances. When we listen to, to others, well, brothers and sisters, when you are thinking rightly, when your thoughts are fixed above where Christ is, you can dwell on glorious truths. Here's the truth that you can dwell on, that, that your life is hid with Christ in God. That in him there is no condemnation. That because he sits at the right hand of the Father, no one, no one can bring a charge against you. That actually he is there right now at the right hand of God the Father interceding for you and me. And that no matter what this world is throwing at you, and no matter how um, despair-worthy that it seems, you need not forget that when Christ appears, that you will appear with him in glory as well. Oh, the songwriter, I think, uh, captures this in, 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 their, in the song uh, Before the Throne of God. One of the stanzas, it says, when, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, have you been there, brothers and sisters? Where you've, it's been quiet and you're dealing and it's in your, your head and you're thinking, Satan is tempting me to despair. What does the songwriter tell us to do? Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the justice satisfied to look on him and to pardon me. Look on him and to Pardon me. Oh, you and I need to get our minds set on things that are above. In fact, what Paul is saying here is that, that we need to keep on thinking on these things. Keep on. We, we need to constantly be resetting and, and refocusing our thought life. The world is always seeking to distract you. False teachers, when they proclaim anything other than Christ, they are, they are seeking to shift your focus off of him. 
but a reflective, a reflective of a life that has been set free in Christ has thoughts, as we've said, set on glorious things. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. Oh, and Christ at the right hand of God the Father is indeed excellent and glorious things. Brothers and sisters, please don't believe the saying, you can be so heavenly minded that you are of no earthly good. Here's the reality. If you are not heavenly minded, you won't be of any earthly good. Because your thought life, what you set your mind on, influences how you live and how you act. Thinking rightly leads to walking rightly. Verses 5 through 7. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, and you were living in them. When Christ saves you and I, brothers and sisters, you and I are declared righteous and, and just before a holy God. Yet, within each one of us, within each believer, there remains an inner man. It is what Paul calls the old self. This old self is what we found ourselves in bondage to and enslaved by. The old self, it dictated how we walked. It drove our actions and our attitude. This, this walk had actions that, that marked it out. And Paul lists them for us in our text. Sexual immorality and, and evil desires and impurity and passion and covetousness. These actions belong to that old self. And although we are new creations, this old self remains in us and needs to be conformed to the image of Christ. It is this inner man that Paul talks about in Romans 7 when he, he says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. The old self remains. It's true we are not what we used to be, but we are certainly not what we ought to be. We are honest. This old self continues to rear its ugly head in our lives more than we like to admit. We give way to lustful thoughts. Our passions and evil desires are quick to govern us. We make idols out of any and everything, and, and, and rather than being content, and rather that being the norm, I, I covet we covet what we don't have. You know how it goes. You've got this contentment thing. You think you got this contentment thing nailed down. And the 
iPhone 8 comes out and you say, man, right? You, you begin to, to justify why you need an iPhone 8 when you have a perfectly good working iPhone 7. The lust issue has been held at bay and then an online ad catches your attention and you just can't resist. You haven't talked to or texted her or him in a while. Then your phone buzzes and you've been resisting in the past, but this time you give in to that desire, you give in to that passion, and you just have to check in to see how they're doing. The old self, the old self keeps rearing its ugly head. What is interesting about this list of vices Paul names is that you can hide these sins. You can live a life with the appearance that all is well, that, that, that you are holy, that, that, that you, you come to church and you serve, you observe the right days and eat the right things, and, but yet still your life is full of these things, sexual immorality and evil desires, things that you know are going on in the recesses of your mind, but nobody else knows. Oh, you may be able to hide these sins from your brothers and sisters, but you cannot hide them from God. Verse 6 says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. <laughs> you, are, you are not fooling God. God sees into your lives where others can't see. And, and Paul says these things will not go unpunished. Romans 1 and 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Brothers and sisters, God hates sin. God hates these things. And so to walk according to the old life is to place yourself under the judgment of God. And you know what? You deserve his wrath. To the, to the old condemned self belong these things, sexual immorality and evil desires and covetousness. Now, I know what you're thinking because I've thought it. You look at this list and you know that these are sins that you struggle with. You, you know that that there are times when, when you give in to your evil desires, when you are lustful, when you are coveting others' possessions. And you're trying to figure this out. You're trying, you're trying to determine, are you under the wrath of God because you are struggling with these things? You're wondering... God's wrath is awaiting you. Well, I'd like to tell you, brothers and sisters, that there is a difference between struggling in these areas and making a practice or walking in them. 
Paul says to the Colossians in verse 7, these were the things in which you once walked. You used to live in these things. Oh, that is, that is important to note. Struggling with and living in these things are very different. John makes this point in 1 John 3, 8 and 9. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Brothers and sisters, the, 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 the wrath of God awaits for those who are habitually sinning who are living in these earthly practices. Those who are in Christ have his favor. And you and I have been freed from the bondage of sin. And so now we can live lives that, that please the Lord. We have new lives that can produce good fruit and, and good works. However, However, you and I must be extremely careful and diligent to heed what Paul tells us here. He says, put to death what is earthly in you. Brothers and sisters, when we notice ourselves entertaining evil thoughts, Desiring what others have, giving in to worldly press, um, um, pr passions, what we need to do is take heed and seek to put those things to death, to, to put them away, to, to not give the, the devil a foothold. Oh, Paul's language here is strong. The sins listed here when fed, you know what they do? They grow. They grow and they grow and they grow. They become more and more enticing and controlling as you feed them. This is why Paul says to the Galatians, to walk by the Spirit so to not gratify the desires of the flesh. Oh, you know what we must do to those sins? We must starve them so that they die. You know, when we hear, here's what we do. When we hear that we are free and, and we ask the question, well, well, how free am I? What we are saying is, tell me where the line is so I can figure out how close I can get to the line without getting burned. Paul says, make no provision for the flesh. You know what that means? That means show me where the line is so I can get as far away from the line as possible so I'm not tempted to step over or enticed or dragged over the line. Put to death what is earthly in you. Make no provisions for the flesh. Please note, brothers and sisters, that this is not a one-time thing. Sin does not go down without a fight. It doesn't, it doesn't die 
doesn't die easily. You, you know, you, you've heard the saying that you shouldn't beat a dead horse. Well, this is a horse that you continue to beat because it doesn't die easily. Paul's language here communicates an ongoing action. Just like you ought to keep on setting your mind on things that are above, you are to continually be putting to death what is earthly in you. Don't let up. Don't let your, your guard down. I mean, John Owen's quote is so instructive and it still holds water. If you are not killing sin, sin will be killing you. And if Owen isn't strong enough, Paul makes the same point in Romans 8 and 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Can't get any more plain than that. To death, what is earthly in you, so that you may walk rightly. In Christ, you are free to do that. But not only to walk rightly, but because you and I are in Christ, here's what we can do. We can relate rightly. Verse 8 and 9. But, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, and malice, and slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Unlike the last list that, of, of vices or sins that Paul mentions, this list here is relational. All sin has consequences, the effect of others, but, but these are specific. They are specifically directed towards others. But really, if you think about it, both of the lists go, go hand in hand. The individual not walking rightly is the same person that will not relate rightly. Paul makes this, uh, James, excuse me, makes this point in James 4. Verse 1 and 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, and, can, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. If you are not walking rightly, it is going to manifest itself in your relationships. So along with sexual immorality, impurity, evil desires, and the like, we need to put away the outward manifestation of those sins. And when you look at this list, there is nothing more destructive to relationships than the sins that we see here. Anger and wrath, and malice, seen talk, slander and lying. What relationships do you know? What relationship do you know could last or stand with those sins running rampant in it? 
these sins build on each other. They grow. If left unchecked, it, it doesn't go to a good place. Here is how it works. Your passions are at war within you, and you think you deserve better. You look at your brothers and sisters, and you're trying to figure out, how did they get that? They don't seem to be living right. I'm living better than they're living. We start to let anger grow in our hearts. And that anger soon gives way to wrath. Because you feel like you can't, if, 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 if you can't have what they have, well, then it, it causes more anger to grow and, and you begin to get wrathful. And that, that, that wrath then starts leading to malicious behavior and slanderous behavior. You start speaking ill of that person or, or wishing evil intents for that person. And, and it just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. This is why Paul says to the Ephesians, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Because anger, it festers and it grows and it opens up the door for a myriad of sins. You, you look at others and you start getting angry and, and next thing you know, you've got malicious thoughts about the person we need. You need to get it in check. Oh, what we gather and what we gather from these sins, Paul names, is that our speech matters. Paul is making the point, and, I, and it is one we should listen to carefully. Your speech is a dead giveaway for whether or not you are living according to the old life or the new life in Christ. How you speak about your brothers and sisters matters. When you speak of, of them, is it full of slander? Could your, could your language be considered obscene? And I'm not, I'm not talking about dirty, but is it abusive and un, unhelpful? What about lies? When you're speaking of your brothers and sisters in Christ, are you, uh, is your description of your conversation, is your relationship full of lies? And, and I mean, I have in mind here half-truths and exaggerations as well. Oh, how you speak with and about your brothers and sisters matters. Here is a sobering scripture. Matthew 12, 36 through 37. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and your words will be condemned. Oh, brothers and sisters, we need to put away these things. Anger, and malice, and, and obscene talk. Put away the lying. You know what we need to do? We need to do as Paul says to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 29. It's becoming one of my favorites. I don't do it as much as I, as I need to, but it is, it is a glorious scripture. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up 
as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Relationships that, that have that as its foundation, they, they thrive and they grow. We are free. We are free to relate rightly to one another. Because, as Paul finishes up here, because of this foundation that we have. Verses 10 and 11. We have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, sentencing, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Oh, brothers and sisters, our relationship with each other is, is grounded in our new identity, this, this new life that we have. We are one in Christ. And you know what? The church needs to hear this message over and over and over again because I don't think we get it, that we are a new people, a, a new humanity. God in Christ has created a new people. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down the, his flesh in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commands expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, by, thereby killing the hostility. Oh, there has been a new humanity created in Christ. And, and therefore, there is no Greek, Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and synthesis, slave or free, but all in Christ. And he says to the Galatians, he has, there is neither male or female, that we are all one in Christ. We are free to in, in Christ to relate rightly to one another because our union with Christ is what matters. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. For one, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We're all one in Christ. We are a new people. We are a new creation, a new humanity. But please note, this doesn't mean that our differences get erased. This doesn't mean that when Christ saves you, he deletes your cultural experiences or expressions. But what it does mean is that you don't lead with those things. You lead with Christ. My blackness and my West Indianness doesn't trump my Christness. If it comes down to a choice of locking arms with my black plague, pagan unbelieving brothers or locking arms with my Christ, white Christian brothers and sisters, my new life, my new identity in Christ wins the day every time. Every time it wins the day. 
My white brother and sister might not fully get me. We might not agree on political issues or other matters that are going on in our cultural, but when it boils down to it, only Christ matters. And he has set me free. He has set you and I free so that we can relate rightly to one another. You and I, brothers and sisters, are free. Free. Free in Christ. And that's where it finds his expression. We are free to live out our identity in Christ, thinking rightly, walking rightly, and relating rightly. Let us pray.